Hey there, Team Health Tech. In June of this year, we held the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit, which was a full-day virtual event featuring over 40 speakers across 12 sessions, covering all the important topics in the Australian health tech scene. The event had over 120-something attendees. There was some great engagement and energy and excitement on the day. And I'm sorry to say, you missed a great day if you weren't there live. However, if you're a THT Plus member, which is our membership offering for individuals and companies wanting to take their health tech to the next level, you know that you've got access to all of the recordings from the Winter Summit available to you to watch in the community forum or on the video section of the Talking Health Tech website. But if you're not a THT Plus member, you should totally become one. But never fear, because today on the podcast, we're going to feature one of the sessions from the Winter Summit right now for you to check out in its entirety. This session was awesome and I'm excited to share it with you because it's all about gamification in healthcare. And this panel featured some industry experts who are creating and researching and supporting solutions that utilize the concepts of gamification to help deliver better health outcomes. So in a second, you'll hear the session in its entirety. And remember, if you want to get access to all of the sessions in video and audio podcast form, then become a THT Plus member. You get access to our Autumn Summit as well, which happened earlier this year, and all of the future summits, plus our community forum, plus our premium podcast, and we'll even send you a pair of Talking Hill Tech socks. And you get a free ticket to the Spring Summit, which is coming up in September of this year. It's only around the corner. So go to THT.plus to learn more. All right, enough of that. Collaboration starts with a conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. You're listening to sessions from the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit a full-day virtual event which took place on the 24th of June, exclusive for THT Plus members and summit ticket holders. The Winter Summit featured over 40 speakers across 12 sessions, attended live by over 150 people. Each session has been made available to you in this podcast mini-series. So listen in, enjoy the sessions, and let's make it happen. bring on Nathan who's going to be moderating the next one. Nathan, thanks so much for joining. You're welcome. How's it going today? Yeah, yeah, really good. So far it's all going so well. For those that don't know Nathan, he's the lead for digital innovation research and education network at Western Sydney Local Health District. He's an experienced nurse educator. He's featured on episode 123 of the podcast. He's a well-badged THT Plus <laughs> member of the community. So if you're in the community forum, you can see badges. Nathan's definitely got the most amount of badges. He's the champion of the Word of the Month competition that those that know, those THT Plus members, maybe drop in the chat to let us know what the Word of the Month is that you're listening out to on the pod. So do check that out. Nathan's going to be joined on the panel by... We've got Carolyn, we've got Jim, we've got Kieran. So Carolyn is the founder and CEO of Sound Scouts, which is a multi-award winning app. And she's also personally received many awards as well in that space. She appeared on episode 141 of the podcast. Jim Cook is the innovation lead at University of Sydney. He's worked across the university community to provide significant and positive research and teaching outcomes. And Kieran Ijaz is a human-computer interaction research fellow at the Australian Institute of Health and Innovation. So this session is all about 
gamification serious games, the use of games in healthcare. The irony is that Siri thought I was speaking to her just then. So I'm going to drop off the stage <laughs> and let Nathan take the session away. Do drop a comment in the chat. And also, if you're on socials, you can see in the event platform, if you're watching live, click on event. And then over there's Aiden, our community manager, is managing Twitter as well. So do share it that you're watching as well. I'm going to drop off and leave it to you. Thanks. Hey guys, so um, look, this is one I personally am really excited about as a long-term gamer who, as Pete suggested, am very motivated by unlocks and achievements. I'm really excited about what the positive impacts for healthcare and yeah, using gamification and game design in the context of health motivation and health education. So to my wonderful panel members, in a minute or less, why don't you tell me how gamification in healthcare has shaped your work? And I'm going to start off with you, Carolyn. Thanks, Nathan, for the introduction. Well, Really Sound Scouts, which is a gamified hearing test, has gaming at its heart. When I started out developing it, my aim was to create a game that could detect hearing loss. So yeah, it's the backbone of Sound Scouts and really we've worked over the last 10 years or so to develop it and ensure that it's only the hearing that's, I guess, impacting the results. So yeah, I think that sums it up in under a minute. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about you, Kieran? I'll throw to you now. So how has gamification shaped your work? For me, when I started working with gamification, it was mainly education applications, history education, but then I moved on healthcare and health applications. And one of my bigger projects is my PhD project, and I worked for that for almost four years. That was immersive virtual reality applications for health and well-being. And another part of it is mainly designing assessments or engaging patients for dementia. These are dementia patients, and we are designing different applications for assessing those on different stages. And those sort of applications, including AR or VR applications for general health and well-being. So it's pretty much my bread and butter at the moment. And that's what excites me, not just taking it as a work, but as you said, like, yeah, it's part of fun and it's very exciting to look at uh, these sort of applications and working with communication for these applications as well. Great. And what about you, Jim? I'm a 1980s Atari kid. I have a 15 all-complete games on Steam, 100% achievements. But in my day-to-day -day job, I spend a lot of time teaching medical science students and other non-computer science discipline students how to create serious games to communicate complex areas of their science. Fantastic. So look, getting into the meat of the session, we've seen gamification, and we've just mentioned how you guys have all done it. We've seen gamification used in different areas of healthcare from health motivation, patient engagement, education, and training. So Carolyn, from your perspective, where do you see the major benefits of utilizing games and gamification in healthcare? And where can we have the most impact? It's such a great question, Nathan. And I think we've got some really interesting case studies already available to us to demonstrate the effectiveness of gamification. In simple terms, I think it's not hard to put the pieces together and know that what we're looking for from gamification is that engagement. And we want to see patients 
both engage and comply with their health objectives, if you like. And if we look back in relatively recent terms of the impact, for example, from Pokemon Go, where people may not realise, but such significant health benefits were gained from Pokemon Go. I think in America, there was a significant reduction in heart attacks because the game got people off the couch and moving, and this reduced the negative impacts of a sedentary lifestyle, if you like. So there was also the benefits of reduced anxiety, improved socialising, and general improved mental health. We've also seen things like Fruit Ninja, which was an Australian game. And those who remember Fruit Ninja, there was a, a, a swiping action. Now, this swiping action is a core action in, in stroke recovery. And so I know that some folks working in stroke recovery dealt with the developers of Fruit Ninja and got them to slow down the movement of the fruit to help with for stroke patients and did this study and they were able to see great improvements. So I think we're certainly seeing tip of the iceberg the impacts from gamification. In the case of Sound Scouts, we wanted to take a generally very boring health check. For those of you who have had your hearing tested, the presentation of tones can be very, very boring. And if you're trying to get a valid hearing test from a five-year-old, it's hard to get that engagement and the compliance. So by incorporating the science of a hearing test into a game, we're able to capture great data, we're able to analyse that data, we're able to remove or take into consideration any external factors and to make not a diagnosis but make an outcome we're looking at screening and so there's lots of mechanisms i guess that you can work with delivered by games that can improve outcomes generally in health huh, thanks carolyn for you kieran you mentioned before working mm -hmm. with patients with dementia and i'm imagining there could be some real benefits but also some barriers so could you just explore a little bit about yeah the benefits you've seen in that particular patient cohort the benefits were like, as Caroline just mentioned, engaging patients. That was our starting point. And we wanted to engage patients because if the dementia assessments, they are for five, six hours. So for a patient with those sort of issues sitting in a clinical settings, it's really anxiety and stressful situation for them. So we have done this study at Brain and Mindset, and what we found out that we actually engaged, it was kind of part of those assessments. It was initial thing. It wasn't a trial, but it was engaging them really well. They were having fun while doing that assessment. And apart from that, there was a lot of data we were collecting backstage. And it was also like helping the clinicians because psychologists, they don't need to record all the data manually. The way they do these days until now is based on paper and pen. So those sort of tests still requires a lot of time and effort from the clinician as well. So just providing an immersive gamified environment, we not only provided motivation and enjoyment for the patients, but our goal was to capture the data and supporting the clinician as well. 
And I might just add another point, as Caroline mentioned, Pokemon Go, one of my recent study was also on Pokemon Go, and we looked into mental health during COVID. It was a global survey, and we found out that people had really good social connectedness, and they thought that it improved their exercise, it, it actually helped with their mental health. Nice. And I guess just to take a slightly different tangent, throwing to you, Jim, in those benefits of games and gamification, you're looking on the other side, the development of it and guiding undergraduates through the development. So what are some of the benefits you've seen for the designing of games and gamification elements into this area? I think the palliative area and the allied health areas that you talk about there are super important. The thing we see with students, they've grown up their whole lives with everything being, and I mean, Nathan, our cohort of uh, peers in that age group, we've grown up with achievements as a thing. We've grown up with gamification around everything. And I'm a level 41 Pokemon Go player, and I played it all through COVID and really, really enjoyed it. And I still play it to this day. I play it with my mother, who's 70. She really enjoys it as well. I think that you cannot talk enough about the benefits of this sort of thing, despite whether there was probably no clinical design or assessment around building Pokemon Go. It was probably built for a different reason, but that doesn't mean it can't be used in a meaningful way. However, if you do have that co-creation, and I think this was mentioned, Melanie mentioned in the previous segment, the co-creation with the people who were designing this tool and the people who consume this tool, be it a hardware device or an app or something like that, you really do get a better outcome. And you really do get a very engaged audience when that tool comes to either market or to clinical trials or to where it ends up. Great. I think that mention of the clinical trials really leads us well to our next question. So working in the healthcare space, all that we do is all about evidence and trials to demonstrate efficacy. So I'm going to throw it to you, Kieran. What does the data or evidence say about the use of gamification in healthcare? Is it effective? Well, what I have seen so far is short-term projects where we are really testing engagement and motivation these sort of applications can provide. But what I have still to see is a longitudinal study where we can have those sort of applications or run a trial. So I don't know why that is so difficult until now, because we have applications like even virtual reality applications for the last two, three decades in healthcare, but there are hardly any trials available at the moment. But those short-term studies, they still provide us enough evidence that people are engaged enough to participate in these sort of applications and there are real goals or aims we can actually achieve using these sort of applications. Jim, anything you've got to add around there? Yeah, I mean, I'm particularly interested, and this is a little selfish, if you look at the IAHW stats for mortality for people aged 40 to 50, leading to causes suicide, accidental poisoning. Accidental poisoning is a code words for alcohol and drugs. It is even more difficult in the mental health space to get these clinical trials over the line. The highest risk, but potentially the highest reward. And so it's really, I'm not sure, as, as Kieran says, while we're butting our head against this, there are certain areas in the Medical Futures Fund and things like that where you can get significant funding, but you still can't necessarily get approved for the trials themselves. It's quite frustrating, but it's something we have to deal with in the industry. Carolyn, obviously with the soundscapes and the work you've been doing there, what are you guys starting to see with regards to evidence and trials in showing gamification, improving health outcomes for patients? 
I am probably best placed to speak about Sound Scouts, and we've certainly been through this process. We are a registered medical device, perhaps one of the few games in Australia, if not the only game that is such. And so we went through a very rigorous process. I think I was in development for four or five years before we had a product that we commercialised. So I think what's important when you talk about games, it adds that perception lightness and a lack of formality but the process we went through was very formal and while I'm not an audiologist I had the benefit of working with Dr Harvey Dillon who at the time was the head of the National Acoustic Laboratories so and that was the first step in my journey when I set out to develop the game was to approach someone with the clinical knowledge and then what we went on was a process of incorporating that clinical knowledge into the game. And so it was like, this is what we need to do from a clinical perspective. How can we gamify those steps? And then once we had a prototype, we then started to iterate and develop that. And I just wanted to share, going back to the usability discussion, some really fun insights. There's no shortcut for play testing. And I probably sat with, I hate to think, thousands and thousands of children playing Sound Scouts. And at one point, we wanted to communicate with the kids, stop, don't tap randomly, you know, you're only tapping when you hear the sounds. And so we were thinking, what's the universal sign for stop? And we were like, oh, it's the white glove, the white hand up like this. And so, of course, we implemented the white hand. And what did all the little five, six-year-olds do? They all just did shape matching and matched their hands to the shape and so it was like okay well that's a colossal fail and you'd never know if it wasn't for sitting there and watching all these beautiful little children put their hands up to the shape. So usability testing is super important. And then also, again, I think I mentioned just making sure with the data and with the game that you're testing what you think you're testing. So for just another quick example, we have target items, target words in the test. And one of those target words was peanut butter. So identify or select the peanut butter and I'm a mother of three we could see the results and we could see that the selection rate or the correct rate of selection for peanut butter was at 30 percent and it should have been at 66 percent so we immediately knew that for some reason that was affecting the results and as a mother I quickly deduced that because of peanut allergies parents weren't feeding or exposing their children to peanut butter so kids didn't know what peanut butter was. So we removed that as a target item. So this is where data and the data you collect from games, you can analyse so tightly and make sure you're testing what you're aiming to test. Yeah, absolutely. And touching on what Kieran says, we really do want to see more and more research in this area and just reinforcing these principles. But a lot of what we're seeing is the outcome of what we're replicating or what we're creating in the gamified sense. We have data around those things, but actually the modality or the process by which we're trying to engage our target audience with, that's the part we're really exploring. I'm going to jump to the next question. This is one really close to my heart in the work I'm doing in ALS SimVR, which is a teaching doctors and nurses to manage cardiac arrest. It's a very complex area, but when we talk about something as serious as healthcare, do we run the risk of oversimplifying these really complex issues as there are a lot of gray areas in healthcare? And I might throw to you first, Jim, for your thoughts and comments. 
Yeah, I'm going to keep coming back to co-design. Rigor is super important, as I'm sure you're all aware, and subject matter expertise is really important. Everyone wants to solve these wicked problems with their health tech solutions, the diabetes epidemic, heart disease, all that sort of thing. But if we really sat back and thought about it, there would be a lot of other things we could solve that are less complex. Explaining to someone how you're going to solve heart disease with a health tech device or a gamified device, something like that, that becomes a very challenging clinical discussion. Explaining to someone how you can help them walk better in physiotherapy or something like that by using a gamified device, that's an easy discussion. And I think Sound Scouts, the clinical knowledge that you guys have really benefits explaining why you could use a device with headphones in order to create that experience. There's an interesting parable, or not really a parable, a story that I'll tell you about. Your Fitbit, your Apple, and your Google watch devices that tell you that 10,000 steps a day is the correct number of steps that you need to get, right? Do you know where the 10,000 steps come from? Nathan, it was an arbitrary figure um, and it's based on a 1965 device in Japan called the Menpo Key, which translates as 10,000 steps. It sounded really cool for marketing and the name is a bit of alliteration in Japanese when you say it. And so that's why we do 10,000 steps a day. And knowing that, and a lot of people know that, and there's been a lot of talk about even the pedometers we have are probably only 75 to 80% accurate at best. A lot of research into that and people know this and it's been in science literature as well as in the regular media. But I still know people, and I'm sure you all still know people, that at 11 minutes to midnight will look at their watch and need 300 steps and get up and walk around the house. Yes, we do run the risk, but that comes down to the rigor and the co-creation with subject matter experts as a responsibility for us, particularly for me when I'm working with students, to embed that in them as part of their design process. I love it, Jim. I think you summarized that really, really nicely. Because again, when we're doing the stuff around advanced life support, we really tried to hone in on the parts that we knew we could do well and not trying to bite off more than you can chew it and the correct targeting with the right modality, the right piece of technology, and not just cramming tech in there to solve all of the world's problems. There's no magic bullet with any of this, I don't think. Carolyn, any thoughts on that, the risk of oversimplifying complex things? Because you're working in a complex space, but it seems you've done it really well. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I have spent so much time trying to simplify a process really so we could... I don't want to say remove the need for clinicians in the first instance in that screening phase. And what I've learned is that instructions need to be super clear, not talking in more broad terms, but just talking about this particular device. I think simplicity is super important because people just we know people don't read instructions. I know why Akeem uses pictures also because they're universal, but also because people just don't read. So it's like, how do you incorporate those instructions that you need in a medical device to encourage compliance and have the product doing what it's intended to do? I think from our perspective, we're looking at simplicity to ensure usability across a broad population base. So we want this device, 50%, close to 50% of Sound Scout's usage at the moment is in regional Australia. So we clearly can see that this device is fulfilling the need for a hearing test in areas where there's not access to an audiologist. So yeah, I think simple is good in the right context. I often say Sound Scouts are super simple from the outside, but the back end is highly complex. There's engineered sound, there's complex algorithms that we've developed and refined over years. So don't be fooled by the forward-facing simplicity. In my opinion, that's the art of getting it right. 
Kieran, you've got a wealth of experience here. Any tips or tricks or thoughts around, yeah, just not oversimplifying what are complex issues in your views? The most important bit is working very closely with the subject matter experts. And at the first place, I think getting them on board is also very important. And that's where I struggle when I work with dementia project. Uh, psychologists in clinical settings, they are really, really busy. So when you're designing or you're co-designing something, you really need to get their time and you really need to have them on board because those are the people who actually tells you like someone like me coming from computer science background, can really oversimplify the stuff which needs to be looked very carefully in healthcare settings. So I agree with both Caroline and Jim. We need to have a lot of clarity and we need to present it in a simple, easy way for both patients and clinicians. And as well as we need to get them on board to really have those goals in mind when we are designing. Because we can't really achieve any goals or clinical or health goals until we have the expert opinion in our gamified application. Yeah. yeah. No, I love it. And I think you all spoke really well to that idea that the co-design and the intermarrying of the subject matter expertise, the design considerations, the technical expertise, all need to come together for this to be an effective approach and really oh. stick into that rigor. Nathan, can I just jump in? Sorry, it just struck me as well as you were doing that summary. The other thing you have to have knowledge of and account for are the users. So one of the things that's helped me develop Sound Scouts is really pouring over the results and the data that's coming in and marrying that with the user group and recognising trends and then adjusting for those or checking those trends as a premise in our data analysis. So, yeah, knowledge of the user group is really important to consider. And can I please add, it's an iterative process. You can't really design an application for once. It's very much iterative process. Continuous improvement, continuous development. Indeed. So look, just in the interest of wrapping up, I'm going to put my one minute cap on everybody again. But what I'd love to hear from you all is what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of gamification in healthcare? And I'm going to start with you again, Carolyn. I'm excited because I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we can and we will see. So really, we want to take that magic in gaming that has children sitting, playing Fortnite for hours on end and seeing that sort of magic applied to the health space. Fantastic. And Kieran, for you. For me, the exciting part is we can engage people across the age groups. I work with older people as all like 90 plus, tried my applications, and then you can also work with younger kids as well. So there is no limit. You can have a broader user group for these applications. Fantastic. And for you, Jim, most exciting Um, part. Joke answer, badges for modifying your own genome using CRISPR. Absolutely. Real answer. I really liked when Gerald said before in the earlier session about suspecting that AI might be a solution in various areas, but also being a little bit scared of that because we haven't really dialed all the bits in for diagnostic solutions, as it were. I'm actually most excited about citizen science programs for diagnostics. Many of you will be familiar with things like protein folding and fold it and uh, ITER RNA. There was an example about 10 years ago where they used clinical imaging of malaria swabs and they made a game that was a matching game for people and those people went in and did the matching of the malaria swabs and they were 98% effective, which is as good as an experienced pathologist. So I'm looking for things like that that are actually built into games like Fortnite. Yeah, love it. All right, well, look, thank you all so much for your time. I found that really interesting. I hope everyone else listening did as well. And I'll throw over to you, Pete. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the panel for that conversation. There's some great bits of information that, yeah, like Janet said, mind blown about the 10,000 steps and some other kind of interesting ones. Jim, we're going to have to do an episode of the podcast later for sure. I'm sure there's some other interesting ones we'll talk about. So I'm going to drop everyone off and we'll catch up later on and chat more in the community forum. I hope you enjoyed this session from the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit. If you wanted to check out the other 11 sessions that took place on the day and also want to check out the recordings from the Autumn Summit earlier this year and also attend all our future summits, become a THT Plus member by going to THT.plus and get access right away. And our Spring Summit is coming up later this year, so check out all the details about the event in our community forum or on the website to learn more. Go to TalkingHealthTech.com. See you then. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Talking Health Tech.